Hey church family, thanks for checking out our podcast. This week is our final week of the series titled Waking the Dead. The story of the prodigal son is a very well-known part of the Bible, but do we really know who the main character in the story is? Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias to find out. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we are wrapping up our Halloweenish sermon series that we've been going through. We have officially spent a month talking about waking the dead because, as I said, when we started this sermon series, waking or raising the dead is actually one of the most common images and one of the most common metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what vision is meant to do. New vision gives new life. That's something we've seen in each of the stories that we've looked at this month. New vision of a bigger story that we can live in is what turned uh, Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones into people who were not just physically alive, but spiritually alive. New vision of drawing closer to others is what overcame that distance between Elisha and the Shunammite woman and brought new life to her child. New vision last week of being the walking dead, of being dead to sin but alive to Christ all at the same time as what Paul says is making us fully alive. And we've been talking about all of this because we have a new vision that we've been praying together every Sunday, and we'll go on praying in Sundays to come. And this morning, as we wrap up our series, we are taking a look at, at honestly, what may be one of the most famous or iconic parables in the Gospels, the parable of the prodigal son, and while there are two sons, we're focusing on the younger son. I could talk about the elder son, but that would take another 20 minutes. It's Reformation Sunday. I believe in grace. So our reading this morning uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and dissolute living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes we live or we die and we are lost or we are found by the stories we tell. It happens all the time, I think, all around us. Every single day, we just don't always see it. Think about the teenager who goes to baseball, softball, basketball practice and does their best to imagine the story of the life they will have, even as social media may tell them a story that's very different about themselves today. Think about the nice guy at the office who keeps a picture of his family on his desk to remind himself of the story of being a loving father, even though all he can think about sometimes is the story of that old dream that never came true. Think about the woman shopping next to us in the grocery store trying to live out the story of a fresh start, a new day, even as life keeps on reminding her in all sorts of ways of the tragic story behind her. Or then again, think about a hired hand who works hard out in the fields as he fights to remember the story of how he was once loved by a father, even when all anyone tells him is the story about being a failed, sinful, prodigal son. Sometimes we live or we die, we are lost or we are found by the stories we tell. Stories about what we've done, stories about what's to come, stories about who we are. And the story of the prodigal son is no different. Now the prodigal son is a story that I'm guessing many of us, maybe most of us, know very, very well. Or at least it's a story we think we know. Ever since the earliest church, this story has been called the parable of the prodigal son. That's even the title most of our Bibles put at the very beginning of it. And as a result, nearly all Christians have always assumed that the main character of this story is the young prodigal son. And because this has always been a parable about the prodigal son, this has often been interpreted as a parable about sin. About wild living and wasteful spending and about the mercy that we need. This morning is actually Reformation Sunday, and one of the most famous Protestant reformers, John Calvin, I think perfectly summed up that classic age-old interpretation of the prodigal son when he said he wasted his substance in riotous living and in all ways grievously sinned against him. I mean, how ominous is that? 
The prodigal son was a grievous sinner. That sounds like something you'd expect the Spanish Inquisition to say. Of course, no one ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> From the earliest church to the Reformation all the way to the modern day, this has simply always been read as the parable of the prodigal son and as the classic story about horrible sins and merciful forgiveness. However, that isn't the whole picture. We've always assumed that the young son is a wild child who wants a life of pleasure and partying, but look a little bit closer. We're told in verse 15 that he squandered his wealth in dissolute or wild living, but we don't really have a clue what dissolute living means, do we? I mean, the Bible never goes into detail. It never describes exactly what's happening. The elder brother later on says that it involves prostitutes, but the elder brother has no idea what the young brother has even been up to. And later in the story, he's furious. He could just be throwing around slander. I mean, honestly, take out our assumptions, and for all we know, the prodigal son could have lost his inheritance in some bad investments. Either way, the scripture doesn't seem to care, does it? I mean, the focus of the story isn't on the scandalous, sinful, dissolute living of the young son. Contrary to long-standing tradition, the real focus, the real sin of the prodigal son may not be wild, wasteful living. No, the real fault of the young son is that the story of his life is one that's only big enough for him. At the very beginning of the story, in verse 12, we're told that the youngest son asks his father for his inheritance now. In effect, what he tells his father is, I want out. I want away from you, I want away from the family, I want my share as if you were already dead. And not only does the young son reject his father, but notice this young Jewish boy goes off to live in a Gentile country where they have pigs. He doesn't just reject his family, he rejects his community, his nation, everything. Like so many others, this person's troubles come from the fact that all he sees are his goals, his dreams, his plans, and a story of his own making. And unfortunately, one morning, he wakes up to find that the story of his life has gone from being the story of a confident entrepreneur to the story of a failure. He loses it all, and by verse 15, he becomes so desperate that he, again, a Jewish boy, is even willing to feed pigs. However, being clever and resourceful, he thinks to himself, even my parents' servants have a better life than this. I'll go home, give my parents some speech about being unworthy, and just live as one of their servants. So he sets off probably practicing his carefully rehearsed speech about being unworthy and pitiful along the way. But when he arrives, his story takes another unexpected turn. We all know how it goes. Seeing his son from afar, the father out plowing his fields, 
jumps out of his combine and runs to his child. The prodigal launches into his pre-rehearsed speech, but the father, I love this, the father cuts him off mid-speech in verse 22. He yells for the finest clothes to dress him, the best ring, the strongest sandals, for the fattest calf to be slaughtered immediately, because tonight we have to celebrate. And as he orders all of these things, the father says the most amazing thing. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And contrary to some of those old, long-standing ideas about sin and mercy, that new life comes not so much because this son was a grievous sinner, so much as because the story of being a sinful prodigal son isn't his story anymore. Sometimes we live and we die, we are lost and we are found by the stories we tell because in the end, the story of our life is what we draw meaning from. Whether it is the story of being a caring mother, a devoted son, a confident leader, a successful student, or whether it is the story of being a failure, a disappointed dreamer, a sinful prodigal, the story we tell is the story that either gives us new life or leaves us in hopeless death. As Melissa Kelly put it, our stories express the meaning of our lives. They reflect how we understand the sense, purpose, and significance of our lives. They communicate what we value, what our priorities in life are, and what we believe, more importantly, they express how we understand ourselves. And trapped in a story of selfishness and regret, caught in a narrative of failure and prodigal mistakes, I think the father perfectly assesses the situation of his young child when he says, this son of mine was dead. But the thing is, that old familiar story about a prodigal son would not be the story that defined him because the Father has a new story to give him and a new life to show him. That's the other misunderstanding that people often make about this story, and that's also the real good news I think this parable has to offer us. Not only is the young son not the sinful prodigal, we may have thought the young son isn't the main character of this story. The real main character is the father. The story doesn't begin, there once was a prodigal son who grievously sinned. The story begins, there once was a father who had a child. Even the title, Parable of the Prodigal Son, isn't original. That title was added later on. This isn't a story about a sinful child. It's the story about a parent whose love never fails, and the real focus of the story is not on sin, on dissolute living and waste and failure. The real focus is on the new story that the father gives to his child the moment he embraces him. 
The father goes out to him, is generous to him, embraces him, puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and in so doing, he casts a new story, a new vision over his life. He is not a sinner. He's the father's chosen. He is not a failure. He's the father's pride and joy. He's not a prodigal son. He's a child who is loved. And maybe the greatest thing about this story is that the son always was. He just forgot that that was his story. We live and we die. We are lost and we are found by the stories we tell. And no matter what we may tell ourselves or what this world may tell us, our story is not the old familiar story of sin we think we know. Our story is the one our God gives us when God tells us who we truly are. When all is said and done, that's what our faith does. That's what the gospel does. That's what our God is up to. As William Willimon put it, and I know I've used this quote before, but it is too perfect not to keep using, God, our Father, our Mother, re-narrates our lives in the light of the story of Jesus. Ordinary people have their lives re-scripted, caught up in the great drama called salvation. That's the real miracle of this parable, and that is the real miracle of our faith. That the question we have to ask ourselves every single day is not, who do I think I am, but who does God say I am? Because in the end, our God is always running to meet you on the road is always reaching out to rewrite your story, to wrap you in a new vision, in a new life, and to joyfully shout out the first words of your new story, this child of mine was dead and is alive again. Sometimes we live and we die, we are lost and we are found by the stories we tell, and we have a new story to tell at Leroy UMC. All this month, we have been talking about new stories, about new visions and the new life. And at the same time, all this month and last month, we have been making changes. Changes to worship, new small groups, new staff, new testimonies. We're trying all sorts of things because this is a church family that has a new story and a new vision to tell, and we are determined to tell it to as many prodigals as we can. Whether it is a teenage football softball player struggling with the story of social media, an office worker who needs to remember the story of being a good parent, a grocery shopper chasing the story of a second chance, or whether it is you on mornings like this praying in the back of your mind for God to give you a new story to chase tomorrow. The world is full of prodigal children. And this, 
This is the home where they get to meet the father, the mother, who tells them again and again and again the life-giving story that they are loved. That is the story we get to share every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, and every time that we gather, and we are determined to share that story with everyone that we can reach. So, next Sunday, we are making even more changes. As we've mentioned, we are starting a new 1030 service. It's not going to be the traditional worship service we remember. We're kind of getting rid of the old language of contemporary and traditional. We have a 9 a.m. and a 10.30 service, and it will be a blended 10.30 service with hymns and praise songs, and we are starting a new 9 a.m. adult small group that Steve is leading and that all are welcome to join. We have a new welcome station. We have new cameras. We have new websites and streaming softwares. We have all kinds of new things, and we are going to go on trying new things at Leroy UMC because we have a new vision, a new story that gives new life. And we are going to share it in as many new ways as we can think to as many new faces as we can. So that every prodigal child who walks through our doors or joins us online can always hear a vision about how they have found Christ's hands and Christ's family and can always find the God whose love gives them a new story and a new life. And friends, thanks be to God for it. Amen. And friends, as we close the service, as we, have, as we close the sermon, sorry, we've still got a couple more things, but as we close the sermon, as we have done each Sunday, I would invite you to join me in praying our new church prayer, our new vision that we have together. Christ, make us your hands by the way we serve our neighbor with authentic compassion and make us your family by the way we love one another with unconditional grace. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you have a great Halloween, and stay safe, be blessed, and go in peace.